Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. Life goes on. Freeze all functions. Okay, party people in the house. You may have become preeminent. He's expected to have enthusiasm. You're going to have to repeat that. Enthusiasm. You be cool. You these violent delights violent ends. Hi, I'm Michael Morgan and welcome to this week's episode of The Wocast, kindly sponsored by good friends over there at Violent Money. Now, I got my taste of Irish MMA filming behind the scenes at epic shows like Cage Wars, owned by the legendary Paddy Mooney. Cage Contender, where I seem to be often cage-sided with my partner in crime, Neil Goliath Grove, and Battlezone, owned by one of the godfathers of Irish MMA, Andy Ryan. Battlezone, I have to say, had me captivated, pretty mesmerised, way back in June of 2011. And it was actually on this very day that I got introduced to Andy Ryan. And that, for me, marked a period of history that, in my opinion, was the golden era of Irish MMA. Now both Andy Ryan and one of my favourite fighters from the Battle Zone cards, Philip the Honey Badger Malpita, joins me on this episode. I feel pretty privileged actually as the Honey Badger in particular opens up rather candidly about an area not widely discussed in the sport. Now speaking of being widely discussed, BT Sport actually announced their decision that UFC 239 will be a pay-per-view event in Ireland and the UK. It's suspected, as details on pricing, uh, frequency and all that good stuff is unknown, that this won't be the first or the last pay-per-view on these shores. This move has caused pretty much widespread condemnation by the MMA community on these shores and above all of the dissenting voices, One voice in particular seemed to capture all of the sentiments in just one place, and that was via the Twitter account of Irish-based MMA fan Natalie Chizaza. More about her and from her later in the show. Sticking with the Irish theme, Irish MMA outlet KO Media has steadily cranked out some quality content, and its CEO, head honcho and chief bottle washer Jerry McCarthy joins me later in the show talk politics in Irish MMA with a small p and a large p. On the subject of letters of the alphabet, before we segue neatly into my weekly chat with my homie G, Gina, MSG actually plays host to Bellator 222, headlined by the semi-final of the welterweight Grand Prix when Rory McDonald will take on Nyman Gracie. Also on that card, Ryota Machida will clash Charles Sonnen in the co-main event. And we'll also see the return of Dylan Dennis, who'll take on Max Humphrey. Now, we'll be recounting all of the highlights of this card in next week's show. Sticking with Bellator, here's a bit of breaking news. The face of Bellator, Richard Kiley, is out of his matchup with Galore Bufando. No word on the nature of the injury, or if there is one, for that matter, that's actually caused... Richard Kiley to pull out so close to Bellator's London card, which goes down next Saturday, the 22nd of June. But Global Fando will now face Team Rhino standout Keith McCabe. Now, to recap what was a seriously stacked card at UFC 238, here's G. Hello, and I'm back. How are you, Michael? 
I'm good. I'm feeling energized and refreshed now that the Brits made a really good, um, well, gave a really good account for themselves. My man Darren Stewart coming up trumps. I have to say, a very, very close decision in my eyes. Um, He did what he said he was going to do. He employed the whole taekwondo approach in that he was being evasive, elusive, and he was being active. But uh, the grinding up against the cage, you could see, uh, was actually wearing down on him. And um, But he got the win, which is the main thing. He got the win and he looked good in there. He looked confident, he looked strong. And as he said he would do, he looked really slick. Oh, absolutely. And I was uh, impressed with right off the bat that he was killing his opponent, Lewis, with the leg kicks. And you could tell Lewis didn't want no parts of that. So let me let me grab a hold of him, put him against the cage and whatnot. But Darren Stewart prevailed and thank God he did. Because I really wanted you and the UK to get y'all redemption and to make up for UFC Stockholm. So I was, I was thrilled. And I think he implemented his game plan. You know, I know some of the folks at home and the viewers in the crowd were upset with um, what's it called? Some people complained it was lackluster, but I just thought it was a chess match. I thought both of them really wanted the win and they were um, taking their time with their shots and, and um, Darren was killing him with the leg kicks and I liked it. It's a shame that, you know, the leg kicks wasn't a solid feature of the actual uh, game plan because he seemed to either abandon it or the energy was actually sapped from him in terms of being ground up against the cage. Now, for me, though, uh, a win is a win, and I'm pleased with that. I think, you know, it was a mature performance from Darren Stewart. I think he'd be really pleased with that. And I think, as well as that, he'll be looking to see, you know, um, if he can get a better deal. That was the last fight on his current deal. So I thought he gave a good account of himself where he can actually go back to the negotiating table and obviously get something a little bit substantial than he's getting at the moment. But, you know, suffice to say, though, that was only one half of the Brit story. Caitlin Chikagian against uh, Joanne Calderwood, I would say, was very, very close. Joanne Calderwood, again, attacking the leg, just like Darren Stewart was doing, but with venomous intention. And I think you could visibly see from Chukagin's uh, injury or injuries to her leg that she was definitely bothered by that. But again, um, she seemed to uh, abandon that as a method of actually, you know, offsetting, off-putting and basically attacking um, Chukagin. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm guessing there was more, obviously, in her armoury because there was a lot of attempts at spinning back fists, a lot of um, spinning techniques employed, but... I did think that she was getting through and she was making headway with the attacking of the legs. But also what bothered me, okay, I'm just into the entertainment factor just like everybody else. But what bothered me was, you know, the showboating from Joanne Calderwood, which I'd never seen before. And I don't think it's something that you can afford to do when you yourself can see that you're being faced with what was a very close decision. Agree, and when I was watching at home, I was like, "Is this like almost like an act of desperation? Like you're trying to get her to brawl with you so that you can come up on the scorecards and maybe get like a flash knockout?" I wasn't sure what that was, but I remember thinking, "Like, wow, I never expected Caitlyn. I'm gonna call her Caitlyn C because I'm not messing up that last name." I figured, come and say it with me, Chicagian. Right, Chicagian. There you go, Chicagian. 
Chicago. I like it though. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't expect her to outwork um, Cattlewood at her own game. Like I, I expected Cattlewood to come forward like she does and throw that tea kick, in her, that infamous tea kick in her face all three rounds. And I didn't really see much of it. But I did like that whenever Caitlyn threw a kick, a lot of times Joanne would catch it and slam her down. But she was also not very productive when she got in that um, position on top. But I was just kind of shocked at how, like, Caitlyn kept moving and came with a barrage of strikes, punches, kicks, and just basically outworked for the win, even though it was really close. And I don't under- I don't know why the showboating even showed up. It wasn't, it just, I was dumbfounded. I was like, what, what, what's going on? What? <laughs> Are they talking shit to each other in the cage? Is, is Joanne upset or is this a way to get her to brawl? Because, you know, sometimes they do that to, to get you to make mistakes and whatnot fight sloppy so I'm thinking maybe that's what she's trying to do to get out of her game you know that's not something Joanne is known to do Mm. no you're right I was was confused yeah you're right but the fact that it wasn't working made it seem that more awkward I tell you who wasn't awkward though Eddie Wineland the guy was teeing off left right and center I mean Popov Grigori Popov was obviously um well sitting duck sitting target And he was getting, well, every which way you look at it, he was getting lit up. I have to say, Wineland looked incredible. Oh, well, you're talking to a huge Eddie Wineland fan. Oh, right. Okay. I'm I'm a little biased. I love the guy. I've been watching him fight for quite a while. And I think even though he's had, like, ups and downs in his career, there's one thing that has remained kind of consistent is that this guy can fight. Like, Eddie Wineland's good. So at any moment, he can do what he did to anybody, to what he did to, um, say it again, Popov. (laughs) There you go, Popov. I said it right? Yeah. Popov, I like it. Um, Yeah, so I I wasn't really surprised. I didn't know much about the newcomer. His walkout song creeped me out. First of all, I was like, what the hell was that? It was was kind of funny. got my attention but I didn't know much about him but I did notice that he kind of like stood in front of Eddie and I thought that was a bad idea and I loved Eddie's new mustache I thought it was so cool to go along with this this win you know what I mean it was definitely in the vein of Uncle Creepy I personally don't really go for those uh, uh, villains from the 30s look but uh, whatever floats your (laughs) boat G right maybe it, it just motivated him to get it going there and get the win to look hella creepy and whatnot I, i'm with it you know whenever eddie's winning i'm in a good mood <laughs> you know what i think you know i i should also say that um the card wasn't just about the brits the fact is there were quite a few european fighters who definitely should be worthy of note i'm just trying to like pick out the ones which stood out for me uh piotr yan for a start he looked incredible against jimmy rivera now given that you know jimmy or rivera is a phenomenal striker is a phenomenal opponent he made him look kind of ordinary in my eyes but also for me obviously that the the pièce de résistance was uh Valentina Shevchenko I wrongly tweeted she is the baddest woman on the planet she's one of them she's certainly one of the baddest women on the planet with that head kick KO which I have to say no one saw coming Jessica I certainly didn't no she no she didn't see that coming (laughs) at all (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, no, I I pretty much figured that Valentina was going to dismantle this woman. I've been saying it for a couple of weeks now. Oh yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, I'm one of those folks that was like, this is a mismatch. And I think Valentina showed us that, but what she did best was that she showcased that. She didn't just fight safe and just knew that she could win. She purposely was throwing these um, leg kicks to Jessica's midsection just to get her to drop her hands and wham, she comes up right to the top and knocks her out. Jessica didn't even see it coming and she was looking right dead at her. You know what I mean? That's, that's an expert. That's someone that's been doing this since they were little and they're really good at it. And that's what we saw last night. I don't think Jessica should have even been in there with her, but I understand that the division is is thin right now. And to be honest with you, I'm just going to put it out there. I think Andrade needs to come down and give Valentina a hell of a fight because there's nobody in that division that's going to give Valentina a problem right now. No, you're right. And that's a good call. That is an incredible matchup. That would be pretty, pretty interesting to see. I mean, um, Because let's face it, you know who's the um, you know who's the runner up, the title contender in that division that I don't think is ready. Who's that? Caitlyn. I don't think she's ready for Valentina. We're going to see that all over again if we put Caitlyn back in there. I didn't really see anything in her fight with Calderwood that leads me to believe that she can, you know, compete with Valentina, but just not yet. So give everybody some time in that division to develop, get a win. You know, send Jessica back. Maybe let her fight Paige Van Zandt. Somebody let let everybody get a win and feel good, and, and then let Andrade come down and, and give us a, a fight that maybe can challenge, you know, Valentina. Because I think she's she is really one of the best female planets on the planet right now. You know, fighters on the planet right now. You know. Oh, one hundred percent. And speaking of, you know, the baddest fighters on the planet for me, this card. Um, was ever so slightly in terms of running order i understand obviously the bantamweight henry cejudo and um marlon marias obviously being at the top of the card the fact that shevchenko and i were above for me what was the jewel in the crown and that was tony ferguson versus donald cerrone it's a shame that wasn't at the top of the card it's obvious why it wasn't but that for me was the standout moment the fact is Tony Ferguson isn't a fight which you take on short notice. Now, props to Donald Cerrone. The fact is, he never backs down. He's always ready. He's always fight ready. And he's always in shape. He, I think, started off with some promise. It looked as though, you know, Tony was being uh, put on the back foot. It looked as though, you know, we were looking at vintage Donald Cerrone. But then second round, Tony let him know who was boss. Oh, absolutely. It's it's um it's what you called when a fighter makes those quick adjustments inside the octagon. Like, okay, my game plan isn't working, he's coming at me, whatever happened, he's coming at me differently, or you just simply need to adjust. And Tony did that beautifully, because if you notice in round two, Tony just started piecing him up. Massively. And I'm just like massively, correct? Mm. It was unbelievable. And you could see the damage on Donald Cerrone's face. But what I love about Donald is that it's like, you're going to have to kill me to get me out of here, bro. You know what I mean? It's like he didn't wilt at all. And they were giving us some nice back and forth exchanges that were just so, I hate to say, but delicious to see. Do you know what I mean? But I did see the momentum change and go in the favor of Tony Ferguson. Absolutely. Oh, well, put it this way. When you're fighting with one eye, 
the momentum, the pace will definitely switch up. And that kind of like leads me on to what was a massive schoolboy error from Donald Cerrone. I mean, blowing your nose, you know, as a veteran. I mean, I put Donald Cerrone down as a veteran that that isn't what you do when you know that, well, what seemed to be a broken nose uh, will lead to your eye like exploding like that. And the fact is... um, a lot of people were obviously booing um, Ferguson in the in the in the fact of you know the defeat of Cerrone, and I think that's because you know they didn't actually appreciate what actually happened there, and that was he punched him in the nose, not on the in the eye uh, after the bell, and that was reactionary. That wasn't spiteful. The way that I look at it is that fight would have been over regardless. But, you know, for me, still, the fight of the night was incredible. Okay, head kick knockouts aside, I'm talking about fight in terms of intensity, in terms of venom, in terms of technique, and in terms of, like, sheer entertainment. Yeah, it was incredible. But it's a shame that it had to end like that. It's a shame that, you know, um, Ferguson had to uh, have his win presented in that fashion but he was winning on all fronts as soon as he was two-piecing him up in the second yeah it was almost like the fight was too good to be true like nobody like tony didn't get injured in the pre-fight he didn't trip over an extension cord and 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 break his knee donald cerrone was good to go even on short notice no injuries no drama and we finally get the fight that we want the people's main event and donald cerrone unfortunately blows his nose and then Tony was like, some people even called it a cheap shot. I don't agree. I think fighters get caught at the heat of the moment. Yeah, with you there. With you, I, yeah, and I think they both did. I think Donald Cerrone merely felt an obstruction in his nose or a tingle, from what I've heard from other fighters say that when your nose is broken, it just feels almost like a tingle. And even though you know not to blow your nose, it's just instinctual to blow your nose. You know what I mean? So I think he yeah. just got caught up in the moment. He had a little tick on his nose, he blew his nose, and then, oh, shit, I forgot. You know, I, I don't hold him, you know, to fault for that too much. I did see some people pissed off on Twitter, but I'm like, sometimes mistakes are made. There are people like me and you. I know Donald Sloan's been doing this for years, and I know fighters know not to blow their nose. But sometimes, hey, the shit hurts, and you blow your nose or something happens. So I don't knock him to, for it too much, but I was really disappointed with the ending. But I'll tell you this, Michael, I do agree with you that if that fight was to continue, I think Ferguson would have turned up the volume and pieced them up some more and won that fight. Oh, 100%. It's funny you mentioned um, injuries and going into the fight, the fact that, you know, Tony Ferguson didn't actually um, fall over or trip over any cables because one person who was injured (laughs) and kept it on the low was Henry Cejudo going into the fight with Marlon Marais. Um, A lot of people uh, were gossiping, were speculating that he had actually sustained an injury in fight week and he actually confirmed that in a post-fight uh interview the fact that he was injured but did he look injured in that fight hell no first round absolutely not first round i have to say marlon marais took it to him but from there it was all henry cejudo and the fact is he i have to say i hadn't actually appreciated this before but looking at henry cejudo a lot of people are, are pointing and saying cringe cringe but you're talking about Henry Cejudo now. You weren't 18 months ago. The fact is, he's found his niche by finding ways in which to actually draw people's eyes to his fights. And 
you have to say hats off to him okay he's doing it in a way which probably uh, most people are finding cringeworthy but you're still talking about him and you wasn't 18 months ago right i agree but allow me to play devil's advocate <laughs> I'm, I'm with you but you are speaking to the queen of I hate the cringe shit. I can't take it. Like, it's just making me so sick. I know you know this because you follow me on Twitter. Yeah. And I've been tweeting about it. And, you know, I've been forming alliances with other people that can't stand the cringiness. And I love it. But at the same time, there are people like you that are like, bitch, you're talking about him. So it's working. You know what I mean? Exactly. So I get it. But here's where I'm going to play devil's advocate. Mm. The UFC needs to pay these fighters a bit more. Because when it gets to the point that fighters feel the need to dress up like magicians and kick toy rabbits into crowds and to wear costumes and then to call out, you know, people that are no longer relevant in the division so so far, instead of calling out the rightful contender and to just put on all of these shenanigans. And let's face it, Henry's not the first one. We've got Colby Covington hiring porn stars and prostitutes to make videos for Nerd Bash. <laughs> oh, come on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. UFC pay these people so that they don't think that people have to just get dressed up and, and put on a show because not everybody's good at it. Michael, what's next? We're going to bring zoo animals to weigh-ins? Do you know what I mean? Like, what's next? We're going to do voodoo sacrifices uh, on the scale and whatnot just because it's entertaining or we're going to fake, you know, being angry. And, Michael, you know it's true. Um, what's it called? Hernandez did it with Cowboy Cerrone. This new young buck sat down at a press conference, went all the way in and disrespected the man. Why? Watch his fight. And now we got people dressing up. It's working. But again, where do we draw the line? And also, is this indicative to the UFC not paying them enough? Because it looks like fighters are like, listen, I'm going to become the champ. And I'm going to get that champ champ money. But I'm not going to fight the rightful contender because I got more money fighting somebody that's out my weight class or someone that used to be a star instead of fighting the guy that just won Aljo Sterling put on the performance of his life and does Henry call him out? Nope. He calls out the commentator, Dominic Cruz that's still injured. <laughs> Uriah Favor that's retired. And, and come on, you know, like it's too much. Dana, pay the guys so that they don't have to do this and then still keep the respectability of the sport. It's about the right, fighting the rightful contenders, not dressing up like a goddamn magician. Okay, <laughs> but I can see why you'd call out a Dominic Cruz. I can see why you'd call out a you are a favor because that would be a payday, which neatly segues into something yeah. which I wanted to raise with you anyway. And that is a lot of people um, on these shores, um, we're talking UK and Ireland shores, are getting their panties up in a bunch because they're now having to pay for pay-per-views. Now, I've got my own take on it, but I don't really think it should be about me. I mean, later on in the show, we've got a fan's viewpoint, which I think is so poignant, and I think it's so, how can I put it, indicative of the mood. But just on that, just flipping it over to stateside, I would have thought that deals with ESPN and the new look in terms of the platforms which the UFC are now on, uh, the money being spent by people like yourself are actually going to be trickling down to the fighters, which mean that, you know, eventually they will be getting paid so they won't be having to dress up in crowns and magicians' costumes. So oh so, so uh, am, I, am I looking at this, again, playing devil's advocate, am I looking at this uh, too simplistically in that the revenue that's going to be generated from these platforms now will be trickling down to the fighters and people should stop moaning about having to basically pay a little bit extra because 
these are the same people who are also complaining that the fighters aren't getting enough revenue, aren't getting enough money, aren't getting enough wages and having to take jobs like firefighters and part-time jobs as cleaners in order to support their MMA career. I agree, but can we do it in a way where the fans are happy and the fighters are getting paid? Because are people complaining about this as far as like boxing and whatnot? Because they're getting one hell of a payout. And I think right now they just have dads in maybe some of their fights. But it just seems like with UFC, nobody's happy. Like, you know, in the U.S., we've got Fight Pass. We've got dads in um, the stream. We've got, um, what's it called, ESPN Plus. And then that's without even ordering the pay-per-view. So it's kind of similar to the situation in the U.K. And it gets to a point like... Man, how can we keep up with this, with this, um, you know, the show that we love so much and fighting if it's going to cost us so much. But at the same time, how do we still support the fighters? Because I can tell you right now in the States, unfortunately, a lot of people are resorting to illegal streams because they just can't keep up with the subscription. And then on top of it, now you got to add a pay-per-view. And hasn't the pay-per-view price gone up as well? Like, it, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of getting a little pricey here. So I wish they could just make everybody happy because even in the states when i tried to find a, a fight bar to go to see the fight it diminished my choices greatly like my regular spot i called they said oh no you know we're not showing it anymore and why because of the espn plus subscription so i think it's affecting everybody and i just think the company needs to find a way to kind of make everybody happy at least try because this these subscriptions and all these other payments and stuff is kind of getting out of hand and i'm telling you well like i understand why the uk is so upset because i feel the same way i gotta pay for two subscriptions and the pay-per-views that have gone up in price wow but but that's just my point in order to actually have um, trickle-down benefits to the fighters. There's got to be a, a little bit of pain in some corner, in some facet. Somebody has to bear the burden in terms of, um, well, monetary discomfiture. So that's my question to you. That's what I'm saying. I mean, are you for paying the fighters and are you for supporting the fighters through um, legitimate platforms or... I mean, if you can or suggest them that debt to the USC for when they sold it, because fighters are still fighting for better pay. They don't have a union, but the fans now are paying much more than what they usually pay with pay-per-views or once a month. And a fight night was once a month, which was years ago. So it's like, I don't mind if that money's going down. And like you said, trickling down to the fighters, but I want to see it. And I want to see it as in. I just don't feel the need to have to carry on for fights because in their fight contracts, they're getting paid to fight the right contender. Or you just don't hear this mess anymore about fighters complaining about money or when you can see for yourself when the stats come out and you can see the payroll salaries that they don't really get paid shit. So if you're going to do this, pay the fighters and then I'll shut up. Okay, so there's another angle. Again, plain devil's advocate. There has been a steady rise in streaming over the last three to say five years there's been a steady rise now uh, on top of that there's been a steady decline in pay-per-view revenue in terms of pay-per-view buys now when you look at this it's fairly obvious what's actually happening with a free avenue open to the discerning public in a time of austerity it certainly is an austere time over in the uk and i know it certainly is in ireland i don't know how it's affecting you in the states in terms of the economy but 
in these austere times, people are going to look at low cost, no cost, or even free. So when you look at the revenue um, loss from the, um, well, the fact that there are illegal streams now, can you now see why the UFC have had to kind of change up their revenue in terms of how they're making money? And would you not see a correlation between the fact that there's been a rise in illegal streams and there has been a steady rise in what the UFC are doing to try and recoup that lost revenue? Here's where I'm going to throw a little something in that. Mm. I think some of these streams, I know for me, I know that I have streamed some fights because if the UFC is going to put together cards that I've seen that were somewhat shameful, I'm not paying 50 to $65 for that pay-per-view. Sorry. Do you know what I mean? Like we've, the UFC also is now saturating us with lots of fight cards. And some of them are pretty horrible. They'll, they'll have like a, a decent main card. And then everybody else seems to be like, these are prelim fighters. Or why is this on the main card? There's been plenty of cards where it's like, I'm not paying for that, but I'm gonna watch because I'm an avid fan. So I think with the oversaturation of the UFC, I think with it becoming more of an entertainment company rather than about it being the, about the actual sport probably plays an effect in some of these streamings as well. It's not just that it's become expensive. It's also the quality of the UFC has gone down somewhat. And I think there's several factors that lead into that. You know, it's not just because it's become expensive. You know, they need to totally reevaluate how they're coming here, coming at the fans with this entertainment aspect. I mean, CM Punk, the way they force Sage Northcutt and down it's kind of obvious sometimes too that they're making things so commercial and even just this talk of tony might not be fighting for the title because he wants dana there's talk that dana wants to sneak connor through the back door and have him fight khabib again it's kind of you're taking away from the sport if you take away from the sport fans are going to find other ways to watch it but you see i'm glad i'm glad we've kind of like neatly segued into you know the talking points of um uc 238 is okay what next for these fighters i can understand in all honesty i'm going to put my hands up i could understand and i would welcome conor mcgregor coming back to fight khabib because that's what people want to see i think we need to be honest with ourselves in that conor does bring eyes to the sport he brings mainstream coverage and mainstream eyes to the sport which actually benefits the sport but as well as that Really and truly, there is a a, a definite storyline here. Don't get me wrong. I don't think we should be going down the WWE um, made-up stories. But this is a genuine story, which I think is compelling. So why why not run back Conor versus Khabib? And the fact is... I think that you ask a discerning fan out there, they would agree with me. They want to see that rematch because that's one of the most compelling, one of the most attractive bouts that could possibly happen this year after Khabib versus uh, Poirier. Yes, but there's also fans like myself that are true to the sport and want to see the rightful contenders fight for the championship. Because here's, let me explain. Khabib, Dustin, and Connor 
and Tony, I would say, are the best lightweights in that division right now, right? Yeah. But guess what happens? They all need to fight each other so we can find out. And it needs to be done right. Tony's on a 12-fight win streak. He should fight the title contender. And I'm sorry, I know that Connor's a superstar and he does so much for the sport because he brings in the casuals and he makes the hardcores like me happy too because he's such an elite fighter. 100%. But 100%. Like, mm. Just because I'm not pushing for that rematch right away does not mean that I don't recognize his greatness. And I think a lot of times when I talk like this on Twitter, people don't understand that. I recognize his greatness. But there are others that have done so much more right now in the moment that deserve the shot. And that would be Tony Ferguson and Dustin Poirier. And, and then also, too, we have to settle the business of who is the best. Khabib needs to defend, defend, defend against the best. And Conor needs to wait in line. And no matter who Conor fights, it's a money fight. He's that popular. He has to, he has to fight Khabib right away. And let's not forget that Khabib kind of kicked his ass. So he can't get a win under his belt and now be in the mix. And then no matter who Conor fights, Conor could fight my mom. And it's going to sell. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to sell. He's the, he's the money guy. So there's no need to rush into something when let's just find out who's the best. If um, Khabib defends and he beats up Dustin, Khabib fights Tony, whoever. And then let, let, let Connor get a win somewhere. It's going to sell. But that's just me. I'm, I'm a little bit of a purist. I like when the, the rightful contender fights the champion, even if it, the contender is someone that isn't like... You know, exciting. I remember Rafael Asensio, they didn't want to give him a title shot, but he had a winning streak. I'm the person that's like, let him fight for the time. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm strict. I'm by the rules. But then again, you see, it leads me to my final question then. Is the UFC about entertainment or is the UFC about sport? Because I think we need to differentiate one from the other because you can't have both. Right. And I think that's why people like me are on Twitter just tweeting all types of stuff triggering people because I, I want it to be about the sport, but I need to remember that this is also about entertainment. Exactly. It's about money. Mm. You know, I, listen, I'm, I'm stubborn, but I, I listen. I'm objective. I can understand. But I'm just kind of stuck in my ways. Like, but guess what? I'm going to watch no matter what. And that's the beauty of it when you really love this shit. You're going to watch kind of fight a chicken you don't care you know what i mean but I, you just <laughs> wish things were more about the sport than entertainment but i have to adjust to this new era and the oversaturation of cards and the you know the magician suits and stuff and i just got to get used to it i'll be all right my next guest is a legend of irish mma one of the most talked about fights. I had the pleasure of actually being front and centre at Battlezone um, when Battlezone basically was quite prominent on the scene. It's a pleasure to actually introduce and to welcome to the WOCast, Philip Honey Badger, Mal Peter. How's things, Michael? It's really good to be here. Um, you're, you're very nice with that intro. <laughs> I didn't know you were at that Battlezone event. Put it this way. I I have to say, I'm surprised that you didn't notice me. I was perched on the top of the cage. I was filming the whole thing. <laughs> Were you? Brilliant, brilliant. You know, when I was in the zone in there, I don't really notice much things going on around the cage. 
I could see that because focus was definitely on, on your face. I mean, speaking of focus, and because we do have a lot of US listeners, a lot of people don't actually appreciate the caliber, the pedigree, the history of the Honey Badger. Now, for me, I have to say, you strike me, well, you're coming across as a forgotten man, as it were. Why, first of all, are we here? But let's just pair this question back because I've got numerous questions. First of all, just talk me through the history of the honey badger. Where did you spring up from? What, what was your proving ground and um, what actually got you into MMA? So, like, I started out in MMA. Well, I always was the kid in school that if there was a fight or if something ha- well, something was happening, a bit of aggro, I always ended up in a fight. I think it was more so me not walking away or whatever. But I was always kind of in and out of fights that way. Even playing football and rugby and stuff, I always seemed to find myself in a fight. So uh, I was always, I always like tended towards that sort of uh, sport. So I seen MMA and a friend of mine, a friend of the family, my dad, a good friend of my dad's brought me up to SBG. It just happened to be SBG at the time, back in 2008, 2007, around that time anyways. And um, I started training with John Kavanagh straight off the mark. We went in. It was a different scenario back then. Um, I remember in my first week, I was sparring with Chris Fields for his upcoming um, MMA fight. So, like, I was only there about three days. I'd never trained before in any martial art, never mind them um, MMA. So, yeah, and I just kind of gritted the teeth and got stuck in. And I sparred Chris that Thursday night, and he gave me a bit of a hiding. And then John Cavan invited me to the lunchtime sessions. So, it was like straight away, right off the mark, I was in training with um, his fight team. So, I had a bit of catching up to do, and... Yeah, so the guys were a little bit ahead, but they weren't too far ahead. So I could kind of like grip my teeth and just hold on to it. And uh, I caught back up. And yeah, so <laughs> starting out, it was uh, kind of, it just was coincidence that I ended up in SPG, really. I mean, just on the whole SPG experience, you, as I mentioned earlier, have got the um, reputation of tenacity, don't quit. You befit the honey badger name like no one else I've ever met. As I say, I've seen you up close and personal. I've seen you basically lay waste to people because of your don't quit attitude. How much of that was actually nurtured by SBG and actually, um, well, fanned in terms of flames in SBG? And how much of that did you actually bring to SBG yourself? I think, I think yeah, a lot. Like, I had that kind of fight in me. I don't know, somewhere buried inside there was a fight in me like that. And I think when I when I start something like that or I get involved in any type of project, it doesn't have to be a fight, but I like to dig in and keep going, you know? So I think the only way you would have lasted in SVG back then was if you had that kind of um, an attitude because the guys were so good and, you know, I, I, we didn't really know what how to train properly back then. So it was really just going in and we were having fights. Like, it was, uh, it was, it was an intense... Um, gym back then you know we used we used to do 10 five minute rounds every thursday religiously and we were trying to take each other's heads off i know i know that's not the right way to train now but i think it was it had a lot to got got to do with how tough that team was and how good we were when we did eventually get into the cage 
it's because we were uh, we were fighting basically day in day out. I've met loads of pro fighters that came to join that team back then, and they were just couldn't hack it. It dropped off, you know. So for me coming in that time when I had no training, I done well to even just last around for a couple of months. Never mind to get where I am today. But um, I, I think it was a bit of fate as well. Like we, I was brought to the right gym and met the right group of people. And I know, like, maybe I never got to fulfill what I believe I could have done maybe back then. But, like, I don't know, a bit of bad luck and a few different things, you know. My own mental health as well had a big part in in why I didn't go a little bit further, I think. But, like, I have a lot. I owe, like, everything is MMA still in my life. So, like, I coach in SPG Port Arlington and have a really good team and good, uh, a lot of members and... We've moved on now. I'm running martial arts events now with Gamma. It's Gaelic Athletic Martial Arts, so that's looking really promising, and it's it's well needed in Ireland. And I also do a little bit of online kind of help and well-being for people. You know, trying to give a few tips that I use throughout my career to keep me on the straight and narrow. So, like, I'm busy at the minute. I've no fights lined up. Trying to get a few fights as well, but like, um. Everything is all MMA based around me, so I'm very happy that I walked through those doors back then. I'm pleased that you touched on it because there is very much a stigma around mental health, particularly in mixed martial arts. When you look at the athletes, there does tend to be this, let's put a brave face on things, let's present a, a different facet to what is actually going on behind the scenes. Just You touched on it earlier about your own mental health. What what are we talking here? Was that more anxiety, depression? What was it? What was it that was actually um, you were living with? Depression, kind of like on and off when I was younger, coming up. And I think I think like if you want to, if you want to be involved in like my advice to anybody that would be involved in a martial art or a combat sport in general doesn't matter. MMA, you need to have like your day to day mental health in check. Like you need to be on top of everything because. <clears throat> you throw in the whirlwind of a fight camp on a date where you're getting locked into a cage or a ring with somebody, you need to be you need to be on top of your mental health. You know, in my eyes, like any sort of a fight sport is probably eighty percent mental, more so than what training you've been doing, you know. So like I I, I suffer myself and like it's not I, I, I can openly talk about it now I'm in a good place now, you know, but back then I was kinda like you were hit everything. You were afraid to say anything because it was all macho, you know. You had to try and keep up appearances. So, so like, yeah, I suffered with depression up and down when I was as a teenager, and like, I'd, I'd go through spells where I'd I wouldn't have um, I would I would be fine. Like, I'd be training hard, and then I just get a belt of depression out of nowhere, and I just think that I didn't have the tools to. Uh, sorted out at the time or to help me get through it you know and then I was signed up to a fight as well at the same time and then you're mixing up the emotions of the fight with depression and it's just like a pressure cooker you know and it's you you won't last in that sort of an environment so like my advice to anybody that's starting out or that's involved in mental health or in martial arts get your mental health in check You, you know you need to be strong you need to have that belief in it and and I think there's there's definitely ways of keeping on top of that, like keeping like good, getting up early in the morning, you know, having routines and stuff like that, which I just didn't have in place back then, you know. 
But like now with my experience through what I've how I came through MMA, I can help out my guys and help out our teams and keep the young fighters in check and hopefully help get a few new champions on the board. You know, I, like I mentioned, I'm really pleased that you are being really open about talking about mental health because I work very closely with an organisation called Bipolar UK that basically um, support those with mental health issues around bipolar. It's the um, condition, as you may have heard, that um, those people who experience manic highs and the lowest of lows, and obviously there are uh, blends in between, but that's uh, it uh, in its simplest form. But one of the key things that uh, an organisation like Bipolar UK really do stress is self-management, is self-help and peer support. Just unpacking what you were talking about there in terms of self-help, in terms of solutions that people can actually employ who are actually living with mental health, okay, uh, mental health uh, um, mental health conditions. Um, would you say that um, talking about um, what you're going through is a sure way to actually starting the process and what other means by which to self-manage your condition would you suggest yeah yeah well like i think i think like it's easy for us to say now when you're on the other side of um some sort of mental health uh, break breakdown or you know if you're going through a bad patch in your mental health it's easy for me to tell you or it's if you talk about it and you open up about it you'll feel better but it really is that way. Once you get that first conversation off your chest, I think that, you know, it opens up the floodgates then and you just feel like you have relief from it, you know, and, and that's when you're in a bad place. But like in general terms, once you get the first conversation out of the way, I think like your nutrition plays a big part in it, you know, um, meditation for sure helps, yoga, you know, um, yeah, just like, maybe getting out with friends and stuff, doing things you like and trying to keep on top of it, you know, yourself. Um, but for me, it's the routine, uh, Michael, that keeps everything going, you know. If I fall out of my routine, it's hard to get back into it, you know. So it's just to keep on top of these, the little goals, you know, the small wins, getting up at the right time, eating the good food, you know, saying no to the bad stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. So... Just finally, um, before we move away from mental health, um, what's your take on medication and its role in helping people living with a condition to actually manage their moods, for example? Yeah, well, like obviously, I, I think if you if it's possible, well, obviously, if you're going through a really rough time, people need medication. Like some people are going through a really down or they're. Like it could be suicidal or things like that. You need you need medica- medication. That's like essential in those situations. I think for the long term, I'm not too sure about pharmaceutical drugs to help because the depression never goes away. So you're kind of like you're bottling up those um, feelings with the medication, or you're kind of dampening it. For me, I'd be more on the lines of CBT, uh, cognitive. Uh, behavioral therapy um this form of counseling that that sort of direction where you're you're learning how to manage your thoughts that's that's a that's a more uh, concrete way of getting over the problems um whereas i think with medication your gp is more inclined to like just give you the medication you get repeat prescriptions and you're not really dealing with 
the issues that are causing the depression. You know, normally there's something there. There's there's something that you need to talk about, get off your chest. Not, and that's not in all cases, but you know, and and, and on a lot of them, it is like that. So my 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 advice would be more, obviously, take your medication when you need it. And start making the steps towards your counseling and just dealing with the actual issues that are causing the depression. Um, for for sure, though, everybody everybody is different, and and there's no point, there's no straight answer to that. You know, some people will need it, some people won't. You know, and it's all dependent on the situation. Now, I know you mentioned, um, you know, earlier that. You know, you, you started off, obviously, on the regional circuit in Ireland. But where would you say you is, well, where would you say is the place where you really cut your teeth? Where would you say was your real proving ground? Yeah, well, Cage Warriors seemed to be like there were such good fights on it. You know, I never really got a run together on it. I almost like seemed to like something had happened. Like when I'd be just on the right, the next step, you just feel like that it was coming. I'd lose a fight or... Cage Warriors is just a highly proven, um, it's, a, it's a top European show, I think, at the minute. One of them, anyways. And the only thing that lets it down is the, is the pay on uh, Cage Warriors side. You know, if, if, if we could get that, if we could get that up into the same standard of like the likes of Bellator Europe now, we'd be really singing. But uh, that's another, that's another topic we can get into. But, I think Cage Warriors, you know, they're doing a really good job. KSW show is massive as well at the minute, but um, my 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 real proving ground was definitely Cage Warriors. That was where I found the toughest fights. Still to this day, even when I made a comeback, the the, the guys in if if you really want to prove yourself in Europe, I think winning that Cage Warriors title is massive. You see yourself, Jack Shore just got signed to the UFC as well, so it's still it's still a proven pathway to the UFC. Now, I mean, just on fight to pay, would you say that's part of the reason why you have become part, well, basically, the forgotten man? Because it's very rare to see you um, on a promotion. I, I get the issues around mental health. I definitely get that. But it sounds as though, just reading in between the lines, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that um, there is a certain level of pay that you are, well, not willing to go below and would you say that's part of the reason why you you've yeah. been out of action yeah, well, these days these days i'm my, my mental health's in good check you know I, I'm, I'm in a very good place and i i i've been like that at the, the last few years you know so it's three four years i've been flying it you know and even back before then a lot of the problems is financial your financial worries too you're trying to be a fighter you know it's nice to be able to bring your girlfriend out for a meal, you know, or you know, you feel bad, you can't buy them presents or whatever. I know that's materialistic as well, but it's nice to be able to do those things. And like, if you think about it, we were fighting, like I was fighting on a European level, you know, if that was in a pro boxing show, you'd be getting a lot more money for it. Yeah, like I, I understand it's not, it's, it's everything. It's such a new sport as well. Um, I'm not calling anyone out. All most promotions are. Uh, have very bad fighter pay you know things are starting to change which is great and, uh, and it's good to see all some young fighters getting good rates of pay and stuff but um it, for sure that has for me now to fight now i'm not going to get into a cage and go fighting with, with some of the top guys in europe for very little money you know and take damage i have i have a um, 
a new baby and Poppy, she's a beautiful little thing. And I, I, I would prefer to spend time with her now than go and train for a five-round fight and get 500 euros or 1,000 euros for it. You know, I think my health is worth more than that, you know. And I love fighting. And But you need it to be, you need to be rewarded properly for your fight. That I definitely get. And one of the promotions uh, making some real headway over in Europe in particular is Bellator. And again, just, you know, going along the theme of The Forgotten Man, I was shocked and surprised that you weren't one of the many signings that um, Bellator instituted once it seemed to be gathering speed. Now, are you going to break some real, like, exclusive news and tell me that you are now signed to actually take part in the forthcoming Ireland um, Bellator visit? Or have you got other plans in terms of where you're going? I, I, like, I would love to get, I'd love to fight on the Bellator show, you know. Um, I haven't been offered a contract yet. Um, I was offered a contract back when I first came back before I fought um, Ali Arish, um, but I didn't take it. I wanted to have one more crack at a run to UFC, and uh, now that's over with, you know, and Bellator has ended up growing into a, a big organization now in Europe, and they're paying good money, and all the guys are getting on really well. I, and even the show, the last show in Dublin looked um, really good. It was a serious production. Uh, all the fighters are getting really good promotion from it. Um, I would love to get onto a Bellator show, to be honest. But there's a lot of politics involved around uh, getting onto Bellator at the minute. I've been trying. I've had a few chats with people, and you know, if you're not playing ball with the right people, it's not going to happen for you. I mean, just on that, um, reading in between the lines, I-, I sense from what you said there that there is politics at play with a small p because um there's obviously been some movement in terms of a lot of people who were um sbg mainstays have actually moved over to um chris field's um kf um uh gym now I'm not saying that this is directly related. I'd I'd love for you to actually chime in if there is some kind of like link. But where are you now in terms of where you train? Are you still at SBG? I mean, where are you? Where where do you call home now? My 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 club is SBG Port Arlington. Um, I'm still I've only ever trained with SBG, you know, so I can't say. I, I, like it'd be very hard for me to change team, you know. I've only ever known SVG from day one of my training, right up till now. Uh, Chris, Chris Fields, and Tom King—they changed from SVG Swords to KF Martial Arts. They just felt like SVG was heading in a different direction to them, so they made the decision to change them, change club name, or change, put out their own brand. You know, for me, like I, I, I. Like a lot of things behind the scenes happened. It was finance, got to do with financials and stuff. Like I'm with, I'm with SVG a very long time, and I've no plans on leaving SVG. You know, my my uh, my uh, I, my ultimate dream would be to represent um, SVG and Ireland on a Bellator show. You know, um, and I think like if. If Bellator and all the people get behind me, we can make that happen, you know, because 
at the end of the day, I put on an exciting fight. You know, one thing is that I'll show up. You know, and I, I bring a good following with me. Everybody knows who I am in Ireland. You know, um, I'm I've been back with or I was started out with the original crew. You know, so I think like. It'd be a shame if I never got to fight in Bellator, you know. So I spoke with John Cavanagh about this. He has, obviously, he has a lot of fighters. I'm not training at, with uh, SVG Ireland at the minute. I train out in KF Martial Arts just because I've been always training with Chris, you know. Um, yeah, when I left, I had my little break for a couple of years from MMA. When I came back, it was a different scene in SVG Ireland. There was a lot of different fighters there. And, you know, there was it's gone very commercial in there. And... and and I'm delighted for John that his gym is doing so well and there's a lot of fighters in there. But I like the old school type environment of a good, solid, small team, you know, where we're kind of growing together. And that's where I think I do best. And that's why I've been training with KF Martial Arts. But I think just because I'm training with a guy that I started out with shouldn't affect my chances of getting onto a Bellator card. You know, so I think I just need the proper push and the, the right people to sort that problem out. And I'm sure that I could get a Bellator show. Well, I certainly will be one of the people waving the banner from the rafters because you certainly do deserve to be on the forthcoming Bellator show. But not only that, signed to the roster full start. I mean, just on um, what you're actually doing right now, you touched on it very briefly earlier. You touched on the uh, wellness and, and nutrition. Just unpack that for me because it strikes me, given your background, um, that you would be definitely well placed to front something like that. Yeah, so like at the minute we have um, uh, something going, it's called the HBA, it's the Honey Badgers Academy. So I set this uh, my website up. We have a big following now at the minute. Like there's a lot of people out there that are struggling, you know, with mental health and other issues. Maybe just productivity issues. It doesn't have to get so deep as uh, a mental health issue. Maybe they're just like just need a little bit of a kickstart, you know. So I've I've had released my uh, morning routine. It's free. You can sign up to it. Um, it's just little tips that I use throughout my fight camp you know just to keep my head right keep everything in check so like it's just it it's 20 minutes in the morning you'll have a, a little good routine a good start to the day i think myself it's very important you know to get up you know have a little plan well, in place you're, you're fading out of it sorry michael that, that's speak? it that's it go, go, go from the top yeah i can hear you now go from the top yes so uh, like the 20 minutes in the morning it's just like ideal for setting you up for the day so like sign up to the honey badger academy you can check it out and um, as i said it's 20 minutes it'll just deal with getting up at the same time getting a mobility session in so a little bit of a stretch you know i think it's a big part to keep everybody feeling young is getting in a little stretch every day then it's on to a bit of meditation and then getting a good healthy breakfast into you and your supplements you know so it's small things you know, making a little list the night before for jobs you have to do the next day and little things like that that some people in their busy lifestyles don't uh, don't realise they can do to help them keep on top of things. But um, yeah, it's going really well, the Honey Badger Academy. So onwards and upwards with it, you know, I have a few different uh, companies going at the minute and we're doing really well. And that, that, that particular Honey Badger Academy is really close to my heart because I went through my own uh, struggles and it's really good getting messages from people and seeing the reactions that 
I'm actually making a little bit different to somebody, you know. So uh, it's a really good feeling uh, project. And how do people actually log on or how do people actually um, connect with the Honey Badger Academy? Google Honey Badger's Academy or if you check out my Instagram page, we have links on it there. Um, You just sign up to our email. You check in, subscribe to our email list and yeah, you'll get all your videos. They'll um, be sent out to you. Yeah, it's as easy as that. You'll get a little code and boom, you're in. So it'd be really good if you signed up and yeah, let me know what you think of it. Because it's all new to me too. So I'm trying my best to, to, I don't know, uh, help a few people out or whatever, you know. So give me the all in important um, social media accounts where people can actually connect with you. So it's Honey Badger MMA. It's on my Instagram account. That's my main one. I have my athlete page on Facebook. It's the Honey Badger, Philip the Honey Badger Mopier. So on Instagram, we have Honey Badger MMA. On Facebook, it's Philip the Honey Badger Mopier. You'll get all my links to everything that's going on with me at the minute. And plus, I'll be putting my push on to get onto the Bellator card. Um, yeah, so if people could get behind that, it'd be great too. Um, I really would like to get um, a chance to fight in the tree arena. I've never got to fight, fight in the tree arena either. So um, just a few little goals left on my mass arts career I'd like to tick, you know. Um, but uh, everything, uh, like I'm really in a really good place. I'm happy and everything's going really well for me, you know. So the, the only thing that always seems to be slacking with me is my actual MMA career never seems to get the right little kick, you know. So I, I fought I fought Dalby the last time out, um, Nicholas Dalby. Um, I really shouldn't have been in there anyway. I had a couple of injuries, but, you know, you, you just keep you keep moving forward. Um, I, I think I do have the tools to beat Dalby, and I think he's the best on the, the Cage Warriors uh, roster. So... With the right, with the right, um, the right fixes to my camp, like I can think, I can be very dangerous in Bellator, you know, and not just for one fight. I think if Bellator gave me the shot, they'd have me on a, a lot more shows. We'll see a lot more of Tony Badger. Incredible. Well, I have to say, um, you have also reminded me that perhaps I might drop the matchmaker of Bellator. A little line just to let him know that you know the forgotten man uh, is still out there the fact is the honey badger won't quit and he'll be a fantastic addition to the bellator roster i'd really appreciate that michael that'd be great yeah we'll get we'll get this little buzz going and see what happens huh in publicizing ufc 239 bt sport dropped a bombshell on fans ufc 239 will be BT Sports' first attempt at a pay-per-view on these shores. For UK and Ireland, the reaction was caustic. Here to discuss this with me today is Natalie Chazaza. One of the things which uh, seemed to be resonating online was the fans' discomfiture. First of all, at the surprise way in which this was announced, it being a pay-per-view. It's not something that... UK fans or Irish fans are used to on these shores, but also um, the vagueness around the pricing structure. One of the things which I wanted to put to you first, Natalie, is first off, why do you think there was an immediate backlash? What was the thing that actually set off the fans that made them react quite angrily? I think there were a couple of different factors to this. So the first one is basically just conditioning. 
We're conditioned to not pay for UFC pay-per-views. The second would be the nature of the card itself. It's not really it's not really an amazing card to be perfectly honest. The third thing would be that you know, BT Sports is not really essential for us and it doesn't really make sense if we're paying for UFC pay-per-views or paying for the BT Sports subscription and a lot of us are paying for Sky as well. So just the costs are adding up. We're being charged by three. And it's just, it's ridiculous when you think about it. It's kind of a slap in the face, to be honest. Now, a lot of store has been put by the fact that this is going to be, we're looking at around about three to six in the morning. Do you think that is what really caps this off or the time frame has nothing to do with it? Oh, the time frame is a huge factor. It's huge because... Even if um, you had to pay 20 euro for a pay-per-view or whatever, if it was during the day, at the very least, you'd be able to enjoy it with friends, maybe split the cost or something. But as it is now, you know, watching the main card at least from 3 a.m. until 6 a.m. in the morning, it's pretty much impossible to do that. You're bearing the cost yourself and you're watching it yourself. And God knows if you'll even be able to stay up for the whole thing. You might not even get to watch it live, you know? Can I, just for a second, play devil's advocate? A lot of people were speaking online, particularly the American viewership, were actually chiming in because when I actually released uh, the news online via my Twitter feed, basically just trying to gauge public opinion, what was the um, overriding theme from the Americans was, welcome to our world. Why should we be so different? Why does this have to be an exclusively American uh, aspect of viewing the sport in that we essentially um, are new to the pay-per-view model in that the way it's structured over here is far different. So why shouldn't we eventually join the fold of having to pay for essentially, uh, well, a top-notch card? We're looking at Jones and that is John Jones versus Santos, which, you know, a lot of people are saying is quite an eagerly awaited matchup. Yeah. But um, at the same time, even if the Americans are not happy with whatever is going on over there, that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to stand for it happening over here. So if I can do something or if I can make my voice heard about something I'm not happy about, I will, you know? So, sorry, America, but it's not really my problem, to be 100% honest. And as well, again, we go back to the the time difference. You can split a pay-per-view in America, you can have a fight party, you can't really do that over here as easily. And, you know, if if you are having a party or if you're inviting friends, a lot of them would be casuals, and I don't think a lot of them would stay up that late for Jones versus Santos. I'm excited about it, but you know, I don't, I'm not really sure how the casual fan would feel about that. I mean, just to, again, pick up something which you said earlier about the card. And basically, um, I I got the sentiment that it it wasn't anything special. For me, just looking at this, the fact is you're looking at, you know, um, alongside John Jones and Thiago Santos going head to head. You're looking at the UFC's uh, Women Bantamweight Championship between the current champion, 
Amanda Nunes, and the also current UFC women's featherweight champion and former champion um, Holly Holm. Now, that's expected to serve as the co-headliner. That, for me, is pretty meaty. That, for me, is pretty substantial. That, for me, surely is worth going that extra mile in terms of paying for it. Or aren't you still convinced? I'm still not convinced. I mean, even I was talking to my friend earlier today and he was saying we didn't even have to pay for McGregor Khabib, you know? So, I think... Just we we were so conditioned over I think of I don't know how many years maybe even like ten years to getting these cards you know on our BT Sports subscription we're conditioned to paying it paying for it that way so it's not really it do, it doesn't even really matter what the card is to be honest maybe if it was a McGregor card people over here would be more excited but I still wouldn't be excited about it. It's not really even about the card. So it it not being about the card, are we simply talking about the fact that we've been conditioned to, um, well, not join the status quo in the States and having to pay for it for um, this actual viewing? And it's just the mere fact that pay-per-view has, well, to all intents and purposes, arrived on Irish shores, has arrived on uh, UK shores. Is that the shock, the fact that we are now being expected to pay for it? Or is it the fact that um, when you think about it, this is a model that would have arrived anyway, looking at what the 11 sport deal had to offer. So if you look at both facets of the pay-per-view model, we would have been at this juncture anyway. So I suppose in short, I'm saying, is it the fact that it's just pay-per-view? Is that the real stickler here? The fact that we now have to pay for this card? It's definitely a big part. Although I will counter with the 11 sport. Yeah, they were going to bring in pay-per-view. But on the whole, although we don't know how much BC Sport are planning to charge, on the whole, 11 sport tends to be cheaper. Like you're talking about, I know in British pounds, it would be around six pounds for a pay-per-view. And as well, uh, 11 sport subscription, is, I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's cheaper as well. So 11 sport would have been better for us, I guess. But I don't know. I think we just, it's a, we shouldn't just expect, like accept the American model. You know, it's the status quo, but sometimes the status quo isn't the best thing for us, for the fans. So we should, I think, fans should exercise their power and make themselves heard and say, no, we won't be buying this pay-per-view, we won't be paying for it, because that's not what we signed up for when we purchased BT Sports, you know? Paying 30 euro a month for BT Sports. And then you're asking me to stay up until 6am and you're asking me to pay on top of that to stay up at 6am. It's easier for me to just go to bed and then try to find it online the next day. Now, I'm gonna, again, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I see a lot of fans cheering and uh, cheerleadering fighters who say, you know, pay the athletes more. We want to make sure that our athletes are looked after. We want our athletes to be full-time fighters. We don't want them to be firemen come 
athletes that are basically doing mixed martial arts on the side. Now, I put it to you this way, again, playing, playing devil's advocate, if this were to trickle down to the fighters in that, the pay-per-view model is set up so that everybody wins. And that is, we get to see some incredible cards, okay, at a premium, we do have to pay for it. But on the back of that, the athletes are getting basically top dollar in terms of their wages. Would that actually soften the blow somewhat or is that not your concern? For me, it would soften the blow because as it is, I probably don't even need to have BC sport. I only got it so that I could support the sport or support the USC athletes in some way. Um, so it would soften the blow, but to be honest, I doubt that sort of thing would happen without an athlete union, without them unionizing and trying to get a bigger cut of the pay. Because right now, I think what would happen is the BT Sport would earn more. They've already probably paid the UFC, and that's the end of it, you know? And I'm not paying to pay BT Sport. Just finally, um, you, as I say, caught my eye because you seem to personify a lot of the feelings that I read in not only in the BT Sport announcements mentions on Twitter, but in my own mentions. I, I would say this has been one of the most, um, in terms of opinion, a landslide that people are vehemently against the pay-per-view. But um, how can actually people um, get in touch with you and follow your views, follow your take on day-to-day Twitter or day-to-day mixed martial arts items? Where can people get a hold of you? Where can people follow you? Uh, Just Twitter. So my handle is at Natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E underscore Sophia, I think. S-O-F-I-A. I I shouldn't know my own Twitter handle, but (laughs) I barely think out of the thing. (laughs) So it's just at Natalie Sophia with an underscore in the middle. And you can hear me rant and rave and all sorts on there. (laughs) Well, again, I wouldn't even say that it's random raving. As I say, you seem to personify, you seem to be almost um, the voice of the people who I'd been reading. And it seemed as though you definitely um, were in tune with what seemed to be the sentiment, which is, I have to say, very, very surprising. I was surprised that it was all one way because I ran a, a Twitter poll as well. And that almost... Um, blew me away because it was a landslide with those people saying that they did not want to see a pay-per-view model. It's not something that they would be invested in. They would not be watching it if they had to pay for it. Which leads me on to my final question. I I know I keep saying that this is the final question, but I'm curious. And um, I'm really hoping that uh, you'll be candid with me here. If you won't be watching via pay-per-view, well then how are you going to watch what is essentially one of the most anticipated matchups this year. I'm, I'm just going to have to live stream it. Oh, wow. That's the reality. And I think a lot of people will. Oh, wow. Well, I have to say up front, just so that uh, people are aware, people definitely uh, know where we stand on it. I'm not condoning live streaming. I'm not condoning any illegal activity here. But it's it's sad no. that it's, it's sad that it's actually got to that stage because... When you think about it, um, I suppose in, in the in the long run or even in the short run, it does actually take revenue from the 
fighters pockets it does yeah but i think if um the backlash is big enough for this one event maybe it'll disincentivize bt and they'll go back to to what they're doing now if it's not broke don't fix it Andy Ryan is a name synonymous with Irish MMA's birth and its resurgence. Now, joining me is Team Rhino's captain, the man, the myth, the legend, Andy Ryan. Andy, I have to say... Glad to be on. (laughs) Well, thank you, sir. Now, I have to say, I've got the utmost respect for you. Not only... Um, were you the first person in Irish MMA to actually welcome me to the shores of Ireland through your battle, yeah. uh, battle zone promotion? I used to come over and I used to film behind the scenes and you were very, very welcoming. You introduced me to so many people. But not only do I have the, the, the utmost respect for you there, but also you're the only person I know in Irish MMA who rocks pink glasses. Now that does take some balls. that is a man who is sure of him himself it does (laughs) now andy to the uninitiated because this uh, does actually go out to um, a u.s audience um as well um just just break down your background your pedigree just in a nutshell how would you um well how would you describe yourself as an active, obviously, uh, person within um, Irish MMA. Because what I'm keen for people to, to, to know is that you basically uh, are, are partly or you're one of the reasons why Irish MMA is so successful. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, I, I come from a, a judo background and, um, you know, I would have competed and travelled and, and travelled the world and, and I sort of... I'm one of the first, myself, John Cavanagh, and one or two others in the sort of the early middle 90s that sort of discovered MMA or seen MMA and, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and, and um, tried to bring it to the shores of Ireland. And um, I suppose to this day, it's, you know, there's some successful gyms out there, Rodney Moore in, in the north and, and then really uh, myself and um, Team Ryan now in SPG with the other two big gyms. So we're sort of the, the forefathers of MMA in Ireland, really, to be honest with you. Now, just in, um, or just on the fact that, you know, you were part of the birth of Irish MMA, yeah. am I right in thinking, because I remember coming over, uh, like I mentioned earlier, you know, to the battle zones, um, you know, obviously I was at Cage Contender and other Irish promotions yeah. as well, um, Cage Wars actually springs to mind as well, yeah. and that for me was the start of the golden age, that was where people were busy with promotions, you had um, promotions springing up left, right and centre and fighters were kept busy. Am I right in thinking yeah. that was indeed the golden age of Irish MMA? Yeah, yeah, especially for um, sort of amateurs turning pro and making that next step. But what a lot of people forget is that that like I would have met you on, on a lot of the UK shows as well where the Irish guys travel. So, you know, a fair, a fair, a fair, a fair example would be the likes of Neil Seary that sort of you know, fought in Scotland, fought in Wales, you know, fought in the striking submit shows, fought in London on the, you know, the shows in London, and then got that got that chance in Dublin. But the guys travel then. We don't travel as much now. 
Um, I, I've noticed that. So, so there was a lot, an awful lot more happening on the domestic scene because we didn't have really cage warriors. Wasn't you know in Ireland at the time? There was no BAM and there was no you know there was no big shows. So what happened with us is we, we travelled, we built up some really good fighters. Then the likes of Cage Warriors comes to Ireland and, and guys got their show. And then all of a sudden, we guys going to the UFC and all over the place. And we got a little bit spoiled. But I think we forgot about, you know, the roots of it, where we came from. You know what I mean? And I went from, you know, a guy that, that sort of fought in a battle zone show like mine, having one fight to calling out the UFC and looking for a UFC contract. So I think we got lost a little bit there. But you are, you are dead right. The, the time you came over, that was the golden age of, of MMA. That's when we had the, you know, the, the Owen Roddies and, and the Paddy Hilton starting off. And then you had, the, you know, Chris Fields, Neil Seary, Paul Redmond, Carl Pendleton, all coming through and taking that step from Irish MMA to the world scene, um, you know, through the Cage Warriors ranks and, and making it to the UFC. So it was a great time for MMA. So, am I right in thinking then that um, I suppose UFC Dublin, which was um, headed by um, Conor McGregor and uh, well, yeah. versus Diego Brandao, would you say that that was the epitome? That was the crest of the wave, yeah. as it were. It was. It was. It was. And what people don't what people don't realise was the work that had been done, done up to that. Like like. Um, people look and see Conor, and the, but they didn't see that you know I'm fighting the small shows in, in Derry, and he fought in a sports hall in my place in Trinity, you know, on, on a small show. They didn't see that Daniel Siri that was retiring from MMA because you know the flyweight division came late and had fought that up up as far as lightweight and had you know travelled all over Europe competing. They hadn't seen that that the, them guys that made the UFC that night had really earned a spot. Like, Carl Pender, like, for for me, for him, you know, they, they threw everybody at him in Cage Warriors and, and on the European scene before he made he made that UFC. So that was the pinnacle. That was the sort of the 10, 15 years of hard work that, that came out on top of that night. And it really, really showed, showed uh, how far Irish MMA had gotten. But you see, now we seem to be in an almost a lull, as it were, because yeah. we've gone from those heady heights to little or no shows being put on. There's two things. Um, guys expect to fight on the likes of Bam, uh, Bellator, Cage Warriors on the first fight, you know, and, and I call now for crazy contracts. Guys don't do the, the you know, the road work. You, you travel to shows, you know, and especially in the UK, you very rarely see a novice, you know, an amateur record going straight to Bellator or to Cage Warriors, you know. Usually they, they've, they're exceptional amateurs and, and there's no one probably to fight them. Or they've served their time on the regional shows, you know, the academy shows, the Shinobis, the, the shows in London, the you know, the shows in Scotland in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the, the sports centres, you know. So I think some of the guys, it's, it, I, I find it's a lot of, it's, it's Instagram and uh, it's more work on Instagram and Facebook than it is in the cage, you know. So that's one thing I do find. Plus, I do find there's a divide now between amateur and professional, um, especially with IMAS. Um, I've gone to, I wasn't a big fan when I heard it first. Then I went to experience my first IMAF event in Vegas, and I said, holy God, dude, these guys are doing something really good here. So there's a totally divide between amateur and professional. There's no need to have four fights as an amateur and decide you're going pro, you know? You can live that amateur life and you know become a European champion or world champion or, or you know have 20 fights and 
you know, show up, you win or lose a couple of them, you know, it's a tournament sort of base you're in. So I think that's the divide. And at the moment, that's what's happening at the moment. Guys, you know, don't know which sort of road they're going down. And uh, we haven't we haven't been able to sort of give them the right platform yet. You know, we're sort of stuck between do they just jump straight to Bellator or do they try and make it to that World Championships, you know? So it's a little bit all over the place like that. I'm glad you do mention Bellator because I see them as almost a panacea to the problem right now in that there isn't a consistent platform coming over to the shores and no. presenting shows on, um, well, in, in Ireland. And I do see that um, Bellator have invested quite heavily in the European series, which they've been promoting and pushing. Now, am I, am I right in thinking that, you know, Bellator is opening up opportunities and is presenting fighters with uh, an alternative and uh, a credible platform where they not only can be seen by millions of people, but be paid properly as well? Yeah, I, I, I do think it's great, but I, I think that maybe... A lot of the guys going there should have some sort of proven record or some some sort of like a fine example is as you talk about the UFC that time in Dublin, guys that sort of earned their stripes to fight on that show, you know, had served their time, had come up through the ranks, you know. For me, it's like say you know football. Okay, um, I'm at the tournament pro. I'm 16 and 17 years of age, and I'm going to play for Man United, and I want to play in the Champions League final first game. You know, they don't want to play in, in the, the smaller divisions and work their way up. So that that's the thing for me. Mate, there's a lot of good fighters there. Could go to Bellator, but there's a lot of fighters could maybe hang back and have a couple of other fights for us, you know. Um, for me, you're on the TV, you're on Sky Television, you're the cream of the crop, you know, you're the best in Europe, you know, and um, sometimes that doesn't happen, you know. And just moving forward in terms of you know, final kind of question. Do you think at the moment politics is actually playing a part uh, with a small P, as it were? Um, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, it, it, yeah, especially in Ireland. We had the death in Ireland, so um, Irish MMA, you know, was up in arms and we, the spotlight was on us. But I think the problem with, with MMA is we need to have that professional amateur to avoid, you know, and... I try and explain to people, people think of MMA and we think of Conor McGregor, you know, but I try and say, no, think of amateur boxing in the Olympic Games. That's amateur sport, you know, it's different rules, it's a little bit smart safer, you know, it's more about competition, it's not more about, you know, you're not having a 12-week camp for, you should be competing regular, like you see the boxers do, you know, so I think that's where the divide should be, um, and the two sports should be looked at separately. Um, at the moment, we in Ireland we're getting a lot of hassle here, so you know our medical standards are, are really shot through the roof, which is a good thing. But the problem is as well is that we're starting at the top and trying to work our way back. Where if you look at a lot of sports, they start off, you know, small level and they, they build up the clubs and the coaching instructors, coaches and grades and health, you know, joy protection, health and safety and national teams, competition, amateur, professional. Where well, we're going right to professional, we forgot about the, the rest of it, you know. So we're sort of working backwards, and a lot of people aren't happy like that, you know. People just want to be jump straight in, you know. Well, with those wide words, with those wise words, I'm sure that you will be obviously offering a, a guiding hand um, in order to actually set people straight, put people straight, and actually get things yeah. back on track. Yeah, yeah, de de definitely. I, I, I'm involved myself with the. With the Irish, you know, Irish Mixed Martial Arts Association here in Ireland, and um, I told you guys, I'm more involved in the squad part, the coaching part, 
introducing, you know, the whole sort of grading systems and coaching levels for, for coaches. I'm more concerned about that. I try and explain to people, you know, MMA and martial arts and jiu-jitsu is my full-time job. It's my life. So, you know, we need structure. We need some sort of base, you know, and we need to be like the other sports. We need to have some sort of recognition. You don't get them without, you know, setting up, you know, rules and regulations and pathways. And, you know, you want, like, there's... How many guys, you know, really want to get into that cage to fight, you know? There's a lot of guys who want to do the sport and want to learn the, the sport. and You know, so you have to adapt for them as well, you know what I mean? So that's why I think associations are good and, and putting rules and regulations in place are good. But setting levels, setting, you know, a bit like the boxing where you have your, you know, your novice, your intermediate, your senior. It's, you know, we need that in MMA as well, I think. Amazing. Andy, as always, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you so much for joining me on the Wocast. Yeah, and uh, no don't problem. be a stranger. Thank you being on, you know, um, you, you, you're the guy that came out of the battle zone and did them unbelievable videos. And I think that, that a lot of people have copied you since then. And, you know, them behind the scenes videos, you were unbelievable. And, you know, you were really good for, for my show, really good for Irish MMA. And it, it did give my guys and the Irish guys, you know, a face to the media, you know, so it was really, really good and I appreciate that, you know, it's great to have them and it's great to have you on the air again and, and I'm chatting to you. It's a pleasure to welcome to this week's WOCast, Jerry McCarthy, the CEO, owner of KO Media. And Chief Bottle Watcher. <laughs> you know what, for the uninitiated, especially those of our, or, or those listening in the US, you know one of the striking things looking at the statistics of basically the people who listen to the show on a week to week basis and it seems to be growing by the week and I think, um, you know, I would like to give those voices which have been unheard up until now a little bit more of a platform so hence the reason why i spoke to yourself um jerry yeah now to the uninitiated like i say especially to those um overseas i just want to make sure that you know you get your due intro just tell people about KO Media, because I see you at shows, particularly up and down the country in the UK, um, basically getting your lens out and taking some incredible photos, but you also do video as well. But over to you, just describe to me what exactly is KO Media? Uh, hi, Michael. Thanks. And very good to talk to you. And um, believe it or not, we, we've met multiple times at shows. But we've never actually had a proper conversation, so um, <laughs> so let's share it with the people. Yeah, KO Media. Mm. I, I kind of um, I'm not a lifetime combat sports uh, person. Um, I got into it kind of by accident about uh, six years ago now. And interestingly, how it happened was like I I, I was um, an event photographer, a press photographer. You know, kind of more on the showbiz side. And uh, there was a kind of a, basically, this this lady was doing Ring Girl and asked me to come to a show and take yeah. pictures because the promoter wanted to get some press. And the promoter was actually a legend of M- MMA um, for lots of different reasons. Uh, John Ferguson of Cage Contender. Oh, right. There, now, there's a, a name, a blast from the past. John Ferguson. Wow, Absolutely. Cage contender, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and as it happens, I'm, I'm in contact with John Ferguson to this day. Wow. And I, I thought that he'd uh, 
He'd sold up Cage Contender and is now living the life of luxury on a yacht somewhere because he just went suddenly quiet. He was, uh, put it this way, he was one of the main reasons, apart from uh, Andy Ryan, who used to bring me over to cover um, battles. Oh, and a legendary show, a legendary show. Yes, yes. yes. Um, John Ferguson um, used to invite me over to cover Cage Contender. And he and Andy was the prime or one of the prime reasons why I was always um, at shows in Ireland because of those two men. Yeah, absolutely. So the story gets better. So it was um, the last cage contender in Dublin. It might might be the last cage contender ever. And who was the headliner but Paul Daly? I was there. (laughs) It's when he knocked out. Oh, God. Patrick Valley. Valley. Patrick Valley, that's right. I was there. Yeah. I was there. I was there. Wow. So, 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 way back then, we were passing each <laughs> yeah, other yeah, like yeah. ships in the night. Absolutely. Because, because you, you wouldn't have been able to miss me. I was there with Neil Grove, Neil Goliath Grove. Yeah. But that's right. Tr- that's trust me, I, I know very few people now. I knew nobody then. Ah. And uh, and and to my to my uh, to my shame, I kind of lost most of the pictures and. And a lot of the people fighting that night are still very much active in MMA circles. Um, yeah. People like I think Peter Queeley was there. Uh, Johnny Jitsu was there fighting. Got some some photos of them. My 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 um, weigh-in photos were okay. My cage photos were shite. <laughs> I mean, worse than shite. <laughs> you know, I had a very very poor equipment that time. But uh, luckily enough, what I did get though was a picture of. Um, um, Paul with the ring girls who, who you may remember they were striking let's say oh yeah absolutely you know and uh, particularly from the side we'll say no more but uh, side, <laughs> side control wasn't good let's say but the picture mm. landed in the mainstream papers so uh, John Ferguson was absolutely delighted thought I was yeah. a legend you know that I could get MMA into mainstream papers of course I wasn't it was luck but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's when it started. Ah, right. And uh, okay. And, and funny enough, I, I kind of didn't stay with it. To be fair, but I mean, I really enjoyed that night, and it made my mark. And interesting, there's a couple of things about that night um, that I really thought this going to the ground shit was boring, like properly boring, you know. L- yeah. like a true casual you know <laughs> and uh, and over the years I've come so much to appreciate the ground game it's it's unbelievable you know and uh, but, but like you know so so I can actually empathise with the fan that just you know boos when it hits the ground you know when when some mm-hmm. of us now are saying oh my god what's going on you know who's trying to pass who <laughs> you know who's going to get the sub but anyway we'll go on so and funny enough the next person who kind of got me back into it was uh, Keen Cowley Okay, because now it's actually a few people, uh, but but from the MMA end was King Cowley, who uh, yeah. got me to to um, take pictures of his his club show, which is the Takeover, mm. and uh, you know did okay. And I actually coughed as a guy who will be a name in a few years' time, Daryl Flood. That was my tie, but um, Daryl did a shot. Sh- San- can't even pronounce it. Sanchai kick. You know, the famous cartwheel okay. on the floor, hands on the floor. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and again, yeah. luckily enough, I caught it perfect. And, uh, you know, and that, that picture is still famous. It's just luck all the way, you know. But I got I got the bug then. And the other part of the bug I got was 
the contrast, like I, I'm totally anti-violence as a person. Wow. And uh, and non-violent, but the the contrast between the savagery of the fighting and the respect afterwards, mm. I just found fascinating. Mm-hmm. Fascinating, you know. And yeah. um, you know, and, I, and I've grown to love the sport, obviously, particularly MMA. But uh, and then after that, I, I did a few shows in Ireland, and uh, and being a contrary guy, uh, it's interesting that. There was a particular show that I kind of got involved a little bit in. It was a K1 show. And, uh, and I won't name the name because the person is still quite prominent in MMA circles. <laughs> okay. All right. But, um, now you piqued my interest. But yeah. what, what was so, um, how can I put well, it? Basically, how, what was so that, that, about you know, I, I, I did a lot of background work on this show. And, um, and I kind of assumed that I'd be photographing it and kind of it was talked about. And then on the night right. of the show, I was told that I couldn't photograph it. So you basically rocked up there for nothing. Well, I didn't, I didn't rock up there. I was kind of told beforehand and it was all politics oh, wow. and, you know, different people who weren't involved in, in, in combat sports were doing the photography. And it was all a bit kind of. But basically, if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to want to do it. Yeah. You know, and that's basically it. So, you know, I kept going on the smaller shows and then I kind of threw in... Um, I threw in a few tentative kind of accreditation requests to the UFC and I got there in, in Dublin. And, oh. And this was... It, are, are we talking... No, you're not talking uh, the McGregor big night. You're not talking Brandau. the big night. Oh, okay. But you're talking the night that Paddy Houlihan uh, headed the card. Houlihan Smolka. Razor Mad Dog was fighting Norman Park. A few, a few good yes. fights in it. And, yes, um, I remember that weigh-in where... Um, Reza yeah, through the yeah, yeah, yeah. well actually it was Norman Park through the handbag yeah I was going to say it was literally handbags wasn't it <laughs> yeah so I was there so um, and, and it was really fascinating for me as well to watch a big professional organisation you know, really really interesting and mm. um, of course that fight was also memorable as well up to the last few it was the first the only fight that um, blah, 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 Darren Till failed to win remember he had the draw with uh, Nicholas Dalby Yes. You know, and, and that was an awesome fight. So, you know, I was pretty hooked at that stage. And then it just went on from there. So basically, I kind of, um, uh, you know, I christened a bit later on KO Media because, you know, every, everyone seemed to have a brand. So why not me? And <laughs> and uh, and it's funny because there was like, I was thinking of it and uh, there was like all different people were this MMA, that MMA and... And funny enough, I was actually looking at a certain magazine which had a different kind of order of letters to KO Media. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said, hold on now. And then I thought, well, what's common to all combat sports? Ding. And, uh, and it was funny because there was a guy actually who, who you know, I, I said a couple of guys started me off, um, Keen Cowley was one of them. Another one was a, a legend in our Irish combat sports in Mai Tai and in K1 promoting is a guy called Lara Byrne. You probably won't know him. But, uh, you know, I was talking to Laird that no, time. And the minute he saw it, that's I it, know. you know, genius. Why did nobody think about it, you know? So mm, so mm. basically, I mean, I suppose, you know, it's a business, but it's not a business. Um, MMA media, as you know, is not the best way to make a small fortune in MMA media is to start off with a big fortune, isn't it? 100%. You know? 100%. Which kind of like neatly segues. I, I'm glad that you mentioned the word fortune because... You, I have to say, have taken me back to what I like to think of as the golden age of Irish MMA, mm. where Battle Zone was 
reigning supreme and you had shows like Cage Contender. And for me, that was when I believe that Irish MMA was at the peak of its powers. You know, then you had, you know, the UFC coming along and snapping up all of the available talent. And then you had the coming out party, as far as I can see it, for Conor McGregor when he fought Diego Brandao. But, you know, looking at it in contrast then and what we can actually appreciate as Irish MMA now, do you think that there is almost, um, how can I put it, a taming of Irish MMA. It's not as prolific and it's not as huge as it was in those golden eras. Okay, I, 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 I will agree and disagree. Now, remember that there are those that will put the golden era a little bit before that. Um, you know, people like Owen Roddy fighting and, um, yeah. you know, m- maybe back in earlier, 2011, 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah, um, yeah. See, that's why I went, I, I was at pains to explain that. Yeah. That was the golden era for well, me. When I wasn't involved. And funnily enough, actually, I, I'll just tell you one little anecdote. Um, I, I, I was kind of only vaguely aware of MMA on the big night in, in Dublin, the, the night when, the, when Ireland's... Um, Clean the boards, you know, the, the McGregor and I. Yeah. And where everybody won. <laughs> and funny enough, I was kind of <laughs> vaguely aware of this event on, but it wasn't really that involved at that time. But very randomly, yeah. five in the morning, as you do, I was in Grafton Street in Dublin. And who did I run into except um, Uncle Creepy? Ah, right. You know, and uh, okay. I was aware of the fighting. There he was. Yeah, were you fighting? Yeah, I was and got a selfie with him. So anyway, I, I digress. Yes, that was a golden age. But I think it's, it's fair to say that um, you could actually call this the McGregor age. You know? Do you mean... Sorry, you know, a, 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 you, I, I, as I, in, like, it's, it's, it's... The golden age was just before, just at that time. That night was probably the, the peak. And then we, we moved into the McGregor age. And the McGregor age was when it just exploded into mainstream. Everybody wanted right. to do it. But, I mean, I, I see personally like that there was kind of a double-edged sword in that. Because the whole focus was on McGregor. Mm. Naturally. Now, do you naturally, think, like he's the best in the world. Do you think that's you know? what happened? Do you think that's what happened? Because we're now in a situation where when you look at the almost, um, well, stark contrast to what we knew as Irish MMA then, um, what we can see as Irish MMA now, there's definitely uh, been a shift downwards in terms of interest, in terms of shows. Um, I think it's a bit like there's a kind of an, an analogy here, perhaps, with, say, the likes of Manchester United, right? So right. Manchester United had the Ferguson era and everything revolved around him. Mm. And he was massively successful. And then when he went, there's a natural lull. So for me, it's almost, well, it's, it's, it's not a pure analogy, but it's almost like everything was focused on McGregor. And now that like we're, we're, we're moving out, like he hasn't, he hasn't retired, absolutely. And he's going to fight again, that's for sure. But he's not front and centre anymore. He's number three in the you know lightweight division now, and you know it's passed. But what's been left behind is the question. And I think if you take a broader view, Irish MMA is in an amazing position. And I'll tell you why, because the people that came up with McGregor are still there as coaches, and there are some awesome coaches out there. And I'm talking about people like Chris Fields, particularly. 
and Tom King, who who, who didn't particularly train with McGregor, he was more jiu-jitsu, but he certainly trained in SPG. And on the one hand, down, down the country, you have people like the legend, the Honey Badger, Philip Mulpeter. In Dublin as well, you have Owen Roddy up in SPG Charlestown. You've got Paddy Houlihan. You know, there are that generation now have young killers coming up. It's going to take a few years, but, that, but it's going to be just as strong, in my opinion. That's just, that's just my worry, though, because why I was asking about politics, because if we bring politics with a big P into it, yeah. a show was cancelled the other day. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't know the, the total ins and outs of it. A show was cancelled, and it was, as far as I could see, down to political intervention. Now, how much of politics of a big P is actually playing a part to actually hobble or hinder the sport or actually get it to a level where people are actually taking safety um, as seriously as they should do? Yeah, no, no, that's an interesting and quite a different question because um, there are, of course, two sports. There's professional MMA and amateur MMA. Yeah. Now, professional MMA, um, on the face of it, yeah, we've just got Joseph Duffy in the number one promotion. But in the number two promotion that most people would accept, we've got like a handful, like a clatter of people, people like James Gallagher, Peter Quayley, Keeper Crosby, <coughs> Charlie Ward, Paul Redmond. I know he's, again, coming towards the end, but he's there. Really exciting young fighters like um, Ryan Curtis, Dylan Logan. So professionally, we're flying. In Cage Warriors, which is the um, path to the UFC with people like Ian Gary, who, who many tout as the next person making the step up to the UFC. But that's professional. An amateur, unfortunately, um, I, I believe that the amateur MMA has got tied into this big discussion around safety. And it is, amateur MMA is not in, in, in well, it's in fantastic um, health with everybody training but for events they're few and far between in Ireland and in fact many amateurs in Ireland need to travel to the north and to the UK like why did that happen I, I think it's pretty pretty straightforward why it happened um, a lot of it is down to the unfortunate death in the cage in Ireland a few years back Joe Carvalho who you know everyone knows of who, who died after a professional MMA event now for me, it's not so much politics, but medics that are perhaps causing the issue here. Because just prior to that uh, event, there was a prominent medic here who basically, you know, created a hell of a lot of noise in the media about safety in MMA. And this was nothing to do with MMA politics. This, this was somebody from outside who created a stir. And Surely that should be a good thing, though. Um, well, when, when somebody's out there saying MMA is dangerous, it's not, it doesn't read well with the public. Ah, right. I thought you meant from the point of view that um, safety should be paramount in no, the sport. See, I and, that, and that's, that's the point I'm making that within MMA, um, and particularly one, I mean, one has to mention one name here, John Kavanagh, who would have been a, probably a leader. Well, he is the, the leader of MMA in Ireland. There's no question of that. Um, and, and, and that's not, not just because he trains Conor McGregor at all. It's because, you know, he had the biggest early gym. He would have trained everybody that I mentioned there. Um, you know, he would have, you know, again, 
people like Andy Ryan trained there, Owen Roddy trained there, with him Chris Fields, all of them, Philip Mulpeter, everyone. And John like is a big leader. Um, you know, he has the, he has the biggest gym with the most fighters, but it's not just that. He t- he's taken a leadership position always, and John pushed the safety um, agenda a lot down through the years. And mm. um, it's you know, and, and he takes a lot of credit for that. Now the issue for me is, I mean, again, this should all be done within the sport, and it should have stayed within the sport. And there is nobody in MMA in Ireland who takes safety lightly. Nobody. But this, but the, unfortunately, just a few weeks before that event, the fateful event in Dublin, there was a medic who went out and uh, created a stir in the media. And then, of course, there was a perfect storm because straight after saying combat sports are dangerous, what happens except something happens at that event? And that precipitated, you know, a, a, a huge, um, a huge, um, basically, uh, you know, a perfect storm of media interest and, uh, and, and a perfect storm of pressure on the MMA community. And uh, thankfully, there was um, an organization in place and uh, the I, Irish, oh, I forget the name, IAPA, was it? And they went on to form the Irish Amateur or the Irish um MMA Association, and they liaised with the minister and with everybody else. And uh, in fact, we're almost at the point of recognition now uh, for MMA in Ireland. But that safety agenda, um, while necessary, you know, some some people in the Irish MMA community believe that it went too far, um, particularly stuff like the coroner in the case pushed this idea prompted again by medics, not by people within the MMA, but prompted by medics that, um, you know, that the event was unsafe. No, it wasn't unsafe as it happened. Um, there was probably more medics on hand than there would be with your typical MMA event in the UK today. You know, there was, I think there was three doctors, full paramedic team, you know, the usual, um, you know, a trauma room, the whole lot. And uh, yeah. And yet the message went out from a medic that it was unsafe. And, uh, you know, and, and, and this caused the coroner to basically say MMA needs to adopt, you know, professional standards like that would be as good as professional boxing. Now, as it happens, um, professional MMA has a lot higher standards than professional boxing, it could well be argued. But also how that was interpreted was that all of MMA needed those standards. Now, amateur MMA is a much safer sport than professional MMA for obvious reasons, you know, with elbows and knees and the head and, you know, the many of the more dangerous, one might say, techniques are not allowed. And yet yeah. the narrative has got that, prof- that amateur MMA needs to have the same safety as professional boxing. No, it's not as professional. Professional MMA should, and in fact, professional MMA has better standards. In the UFC, for example, there are scans after every fight, before every fight. In professional boxing, it's one scan a year. Um, and because of that particular agenda, there was pressure put on the, um, the MMA community to introduce scans for amateurs. And that is the standard that um, that needs to be adhered to here now. 
you know, which, as you know, would not be the standard that is applies in, in you know, the UK, Northern Ireland or in England or Scotland or Wales. Yeah, um, well, I, I'm struggling to see why that isn't a good thing, because safety, again, seems to underpin everything that you've just just spoken about. And um, whilst it may be uh, a belt and braces approach, surely it's in the interest of the fighters to be as safe and to fight as safe as possible. Absolutely, absolutely it is. But um, but why? The, but the issue is, you know, you asked why. I mean, I, I've already said there is plenty of amateur MMA people um, training in Ireland, and in fact, in the world's last year, like we we got we got a cartload of medals. I mean, we're in rude health skill wise, we're in rude health training wise. But right. to run an event in the Republic is now very expensive compared to running events over the border in the north because the safety standards are so much higher in the Republic and it costs so much more to run a show. Right. So that, as I say, leads back to my question. Do you think that with that stringent, um, basically, level of um, governance that's been put in place now, do you think that will ultimately um, hinder the sport and what we're seeing at the moment, i.e. the lull in the sport, will continue because of now you have that being imposed on the amateurs who, to a certain extent, are the future of the sport? Yeah, except there are those that would argue that um, that because it's so expensive to run events in, in, in the Republic that there are very few events right. now. Um, ah, like there was a t- so that's the real issue. That, like there was a time when there would be MMA events every week or every second week. I think now mm. there's been about like two or three in the year so far, and that's down to expense. Yeah, that's down to expense, uh, largely ah. down to expense, and um, and stuff as well. Like you know, we're, 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 for amateurs, we're on the same day weigh-ins in the UK or the north of Ireland. It's still previous day weigh-ins, which means that ah. uh, you know guys are kind of maybe in different weights that they might see themselves being in as professionals. You know, if that makes sense, you know. Now, yeah, yeah. Now it have to be said. I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of loath to say anything that is in any way controversial here. Uh, but you did mention politics with small and big P's, and um, yeah, you know, you did mention a show cancelled and stuff. I mean, like, there. Just remind me of the name of the show. I just can't. It's Battle Arena. It's a UK it's like, show actually that came over right. here. And uh, okay. And again, I mean, that that was unfortunate. And again, like this did not come from within the MMA community. It was actually um, a, I forget the exact name now, but it's a professional body to do with um, to do with emergency care. Yeah, the regulators, the 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 official regulators of ambulance crews and emergency personnel, uh, right. you know, for some reason took it on themselves to approach the minister to say that they're unhappy with an event that hadn't happened yet, which kind of feels strange. Mm. But again, I mean, I, I keep coming back to this. It appears to be the medics that are that are causing a lot of the issues here. I don't know why, but this has nothing to do with MMA politics, uh, in my opinion. Um, you know, so so basically, the UK company Battle Arena came in. There was a local promoter involved with them, and they said, "Look, let's run this show." to UK standards, which, by the way, will be the same as the IMAF standards, the um, the world body of amateur MMA. Right. And, um, and for some reason, these medics 
took it upon themselves, this um, governing body of emergency medics took upon themselves to approach the minister and say that, you know, this isn't safe. And, you know, I, like, I, I don't know, I don't believe they have a role in, in um, monitoring sporting events or any other events. They, that Their role is to accredit, um, you know, emergency personnel, not, not to look events. As I understand it, I could be wrong there. But and again, the minister, the minister is another problem, by the way, because the minister is one of these guys who likes the sound of his own voice. So, in fact, it was the minister's office that released the press relief saying this is a dangerous event. Right. But if I could just play devil's advocate just for a second there, just before we move on to my final question for you. Um, If the medics are actually approaching a minister with grave concerns again i can't help but think that's a good thing because if they don't actually raise it obviously you know as you mentioned earlier you've got the death of cavallio Mm -hmm. absolutely still fresh in people's minds and i can see why perhaps they could be a little bit spooked feeling a little bit jittery and wanting to do the right thing. You know, perhaps, but I mean, there's been deaths in boxing, there's been deaths in GAA or national sport, there's been deaths in rugby. Um, I'm not aware of any occasion when this body approached the minister saying they're concerned about what the safety uh, arrangements will be for GAA matches or rugby matches or boxing matches. Mm. Um, There's this focus on MMA. Okay, well... You know, and and, and, and by say- the way, I mean, and, and um, I I don't, I, I'm not treating lightly at all the death of, of Joaquin Carvalho. I was actually one of the very, very few people who spoke to him when he was in Ireland. I interviewed him and, right. um, you know, I spoke to him and, and he was a really, really properly nice guy. And I spoke to his coach and interviewed his coach and, um, you know, and, and Pedro was the uh, translator for that. And... Um, you know, so like, like this was personal for me as well, you know. That I definitely, you know, can actually understand and can see why, you know, um, you know, rest in peace. I can understand why that would be a mm. pretty lasting memory for you. But what I was going to say, like, finally was, do you think, am I looking at things through rose-coloured glasses here? You know, my final point is, Bellator seem to be investing very heavily in Europe in terms of talent, in terms of shows, in terms of keeping people busy. They are rumoured to be coming back in September. Do you not see that as the revival, as it were, of Irish MMA? This is where, you know, you've basically got this, you could almost call it the Gallagher era. You've got this young, um, brash individual who is putting bums on seats, but not only that, He's bringing excitement, he's bringing panache, he's bringing uh, a sort of energy to the sport, which has been long overdue. So, you know, just going back to my my question, do you think that Bellator do offer some kind of panacea to what, well, what seems to be an existing problem? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, And by the way, and again, I go back to my point that professional MMA is an entirely different sport to amateur MMA. Professional MMA, the the, the Bellator injection into the Ireland UK is absolutely fantastic um, and I, I think for the first time I said uh, in, in a post lately that the UFC of course are in brackets currently the number one world promotion I mean Bellator are making a very very serious push the 
I was there, as I say, for Paddy Hoolan's main event, and, and there were some massive highlights. Um, you probably would have seen Ashleen Daly's entry into the tree arena with, um, oh, what's the song by uh, la, 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 um, the Cranberries? Zombie. You've seen that online, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, how scintillating that. that I, I, I think that night, no, I wasn't there of 194, but that night was top. The tree arena was absolutely hopping for Bellator Dublin earlier this year it was full mm. the whole like in, in the Bama days you'd have a three quarters of the arena or two thirds of the arena but the entire arena was open there wasn't an empty seat in the house I was looking around and the place was rocking from start to finish it was absolutely superb promotion by Bellator and, and, and it has to be said really good matchmaking by Jude Samuel as well Who's, who's moved on to Bellator as a matchmaker. I mean, that, that night was just extraordinary and it's going to be better again in September, I believe. And uh, professional MMA is in rude health, I think, in Ireland. Like, there's so many people on the Bellator roster. You've got, as I say, our, our, our adopted Irishman, James Webb, as world champion in Cage Warriors. Um, our, our biggest prospect, potentially, is Ian Gary, again in Cage Warriors. And that's a route to the current number one promotion. Uh, even Chris Fields himself, I believe, has got a match at KSW coming up. So, you know, you know, it's all going on here. And by the way, I'm only ta- I, I, I'm, I am only talking about the Republic here because, of course, there's a massive scene up in the north as well. People like Reese McKee are flying it. But uh, but down here, I I think Bellator is a godsend, to be honest with you, because that's gonna that's going to basically, I think, it's going to, you know, give a lot of. Um, I'm struggling for a word here, Michael. Um, but basically, the amateurs looking at the professionals in the tree arena, having 9,000 people singing their songs and calling their name, has to be a big incentive to train harder and get up there. And a massive inspiration. Oh, so that's the word I was looking for. Thank kind of, you. That's the word I was looking for. Which, which neatly, neatly uh, closes off this incredible segment, a nice canter through exactly what's actually transpiring in Ireland. Obviously, you are closer to the action than I would be here in the UK. So it was good to get your insights, it was good to get your take, not only on amateur MMA and professional MMA. That about wraps up this week's episode of The Wocast. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at MikeWoTV. Until next week, make some trouble. <laughs>